Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, brethren. It's nice to be here. It's been a while, so I'll be a little shaky, a little nervous. Just please forgive me. So what spiritual gift is best for me? Let me tell you a little history. Why I decided to follow the subject that actually I was inspired very much by the first message coming from Pastor Murray when he was speaking about we will rebuild and then going on through the playing the unplayable piano and with Brother Louis who came here when he actually finished this topic with spiritual gifts. If you open your Bible to John chapter 16 and verse 7. We'll spend a lot of time today in, in the Gospel of John. Gospel of John chapter 16 and right here in verse 7. Just breaking into the context here. Jesus Christ is explaining to his disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. If I don't depart, if I depart, I will send him to you. This is how crucial. Just think for a moment. If Jesus Christ wasn't crucified, there's something important here that happened. All of us, you would, we would not have it. The greatest gift that mankind ever received from God, it came directly from God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. The greatest gift given to mankind, or let me correct myself, humankind, now you got it. You're not falling asleep. The greatest gift ever given to mankind is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Is the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is the primary role of the Holy Spirit in this world? We have to ask this question. If that's the greatest gift, then what is the primary role of the Holy Spirit, not just in our lives, but the entire world? What is it? And there are many, and I don't have time to go through all of this. We'll just go through two of them. The primary rule number one, the Holy Spirit leads us to the truth. The Holy Spirit leads us to the truth. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and right here at verse 16. John chapter 14 and verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17. The Spirit of truth. You see the way how it's called? The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, but because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He will not leave you orphans. He will come to you. This is how crucial it is. It's called the spirit of truth. Just skip down to verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. This is how important it is. And now, please don't take the scriptures out of context. Because this one verse I heard among the brethren that, you know, brethren will come and say, I don't need another teacher. I don't need anyone to teach me because I have God's Holy Spirit. And because I have God's Holy Spirit, there is no need for me to be taught by anybody else. The Holy Spirit will teach me everything. Please don't take it out of context. This verse is directly to the disciples. It says, it will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said. He said, when I'm going away, and you guys are going to slowly forget about my teaching and my commandments, 
the Holy Spirit that my Father will send it in my name. He will bring everything that I taught you to your remembrance. Everything that I taught you to your remembrance for a reason. Up to this point, when it comes to the scripture, only the Hebrew Bible was complete. There was no such thing as the New Testament writing. There was no New Testament writing, only the Hebrew Bible. So there is a crucial role of the Holy Spirit that is going to go something about bringing up the completeness of the New Testament, the way how we know it today. Okay, just John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And look at verse 26. In the same thing. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth again, who proceeds from the Father, he will not just teach you the truth, he will testify of me. He will testify of me. The importance of Jesus Christ, as we know, going through the study of the Gospel of John. Everything is about Jesus Christ. Everything about Jesus Christ. John chapter 16 and verse 13. John chapter 16 and verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth again, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. And he will tell you the things to come. What happened as this result, as of this wonderful thing that happened, that Christ actually sent, the manifestation of the spirit to the apostles, how they were inspired. Years later, through the telling stories to the other people who wrote the things that we can enjoy today so much. The Gospels, the letters, and everything. Way before that, there was no New Testament writing. After all of this, we have the precise word of Jesus Christ contained in the four Gospels and in other writings. Now we can sit at the comfort of our tables and just flip the pages over or go through the electron digital, digital Bibles. Sit at home in a comfy chair and enjoy this beautiful reading. That come, directly, that come directly through us, through the inspirations of the Holy Spirit, inspiring his apostles and the, other, and the other teachers. Now, simple question that people ask. What is true? What is true? And, you know, we all know the answer. It's right here in John, Gospel of John, chapter 17. John 17 and verse 17. We know what the truth is. We hold it in our hands. We read it every day. John chapter 17, verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. What is your truth? Your word. Your word is true. That's it. Whatever you hold in your hands, your Bible. This is true. This is inspired true of God. That you can face your entire life on it. This is how important it is. So that's the first primary role of the Holy Spirit. To lead us to the truth. And the second one. I said there are many. There are many. But I'm just going to touch on two. Distribution of the gifts. Distributions of the gifts. The second primary role of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's have a little break here. If you had a choice, if you had the power, and let's say you can pick and choose what gift, spiritual gift, you would like to have, what gift would you choose? Just think about it. What gift would you choose if you had the choice? You say, Father, I feel I would like to have this gift. So if you know, just write, if you're taking notes, just write in your notes. Or just memorize it. We'll come back to this a little bit later. I just want you to think about it. Take, take a minute or so. Which gift would you like to have it? And I'll go to the first Corinthians and, read, and go to some of, the, some of the gifts that are mentioned here that Daniel read to us before. First Corinthians chapter 12. Just one more time as I read to it. Just think about it. If you have the choice to pick, which gift would you like to have it? as an individual? Which gift would you like to have it? If you had the choice. Verse 8. For, for to one is given the word of wisdom, so the gift of wisdom, 
to another the word of knowledge, to another to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, and to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And there are many others. Which one would you like to have? Which one would you like to pick? And says, I think I'll have, I would love to have this gift. Just write it down and try to memorize it. We'll come back to this a little bit later. Now another question. Is there a gift in the Bible? Is there a gift in the Bible that is more important than any other gift? Is there a gift in the Bible that is more important than any other gift? As we're going to go along, please don't change your options, okay? Just stick to whatever you wrote down or whatever you have in your mind. Don't change your options. Is there a gift that is more important than any other gift in the Bible? Ephesians chapter 4. Why we need all these gifts? The Holy Spirit will lead us to the truth. I will distribute the gifts. For what? Ephesians chapter 4. We know the answer. It's just a quick review here. But let's go there. Ephesians chapter 4 and look at verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For what? Why do you have all these gifts in the church? For what? Verse 12 gives us the answer. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry? It's the preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel to the world and making disciples. That's the work of the ministry. And for the edifying of the body of Christ. Preaching the gospel and edifying the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the end result if you work together with the God, Holy Spirit. And as you notice here, it says here, and he gave me, verse 11, and he gave himself some to be apostles, and the next one is prophets. Not evangelists, not teachers, not pastors, but prophets. Why prophets? So we have to keep in mind why we give the gifts. Why God gives us the spiritual gifts. The reasons. To preach the gospel and make disciples. And for, it, for the edifications of the body. That's two very crucial, important reasons. Based on that, God gave us, shared with us, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we can function and perform all these functions. Now, why prophecy here is so important? 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians chapter 14. And we know how confusion, confused the Corinthian church was. And I don't want to go through all these details because we all understand what happened there in Corinth. But here Paul writes, chapter 14, verse 1. Chapter 14 and verse 1, Paul writes to Corinthians church, he says, Pursue love. Run after it. Grab it. Do what you can. But pursue love as much as you can. And, and desire spiritual. The gift is not in the Bible. It's in Italian. Desire spiritual. But, especially, especially that you may prophesy. Especially that you may prophesy. Why? Why prophecy? Why prophesy? There is kind of we have an answer here in verse 5. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more than you, you prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater 
than he who speaks with tongues. Unless indeed he interprets. Why? That the church may receive edification. So there is one gift that is higher than the other one. At least we can say that the gift of prophecy is higher than the gift of tongues. Why would Paul recommend such a gift? That's the reason why. To bring an order in a church. It's only Paul who recommends this gift. No. It runs through the Old Testament too. It always needs to be confirmed, the teaching of the New Testament with the Old Testament. Go to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. We'll see what Moses has to say about it. Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11, and let's look at verse 16. Numbers 11 and verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. And in verse 17, Then I will come down and talk with you there, And I will take of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put the same upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bury yourself alone. Wow. God says, I need to share what I give it to you. I need to take the Holy Spirit and share it with the other people, so you're not alone in this walk. You need a help. Skip down to verse 25. In verse 25. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them, that they prophesied, although they never did so again. But the two men had remained, hold on just before we go to verse 26, when it says here that they prophesied, what were they, what were they doing? Suddenly from nowhere, just, there was just telling, you know, like, yes, there will be 911, September 911 happen, or there will be this great, you know, catastrophe that's going to affect people, humanity in the next 2,000 years. If that's what they were doing, were just standing in the camp and predicting the future events because there were prophets suddenly. What were we doing? What were we doing there by prophesying? What they were doing? It's an interesting question. You need to find out. Just keep reading. But the two men had remained in the camp, and the name of the one was Alda, and the name of the other, Midat, and the spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out, gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. Again, what did they prophesy? What they were speaking about? What they were sharing with all the people? What kind of knowledge was that? That, you know, draw attention to everybody. Verse 27, and the young man ran and told Moses and said, Ildad and Midad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of the choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Moses, my Lord, forbid them. And Moses answered, and Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Or are you more zealous than me? What are you talking about? Oh, that all the Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. This is the wish of Moses. I wish that all the people were like that. I wish that all these people were gifted in this gift of prophecy. Why? What were we, what were we talking about? What were they prophesying? So what I want to do today, for the rest of my time, I would like to explore this gift of prophecy deeply, more deeper way. And especially, I think this gift is more important than all, all the other gifts. 
So first we need to find what it means. What it means to prophesy. What is prophecy? How would you define it? What is the definition of it? And you can look at this word. You know, we have more time. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here for a definition of it. But you find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10 and Romans chapter 12 and verse 6. The Greek word or the English words and the equivalent of the Greek word. But basically the Greek word translated there, prophesying a prophecy, basically what it means is basically to speak forth or to speak before. To speak forth or to speak before. What am I doing now? I speak before a congregation. Is it possible that I'm prophesying right now to you guys? Is it possible? I look at different dictionaries' definitions of this word. And I came to, I mix it up, and I'll just give you some definition. What it means to speak for or to speak before or to prophesy. One. Declare the divine will. Declare the divine will. Two. To interpret the purpose of God. To interpret the purpose of God. So declare the will, divine, divine will. To interpret the purpose of God. And three. To make known the truth of God, which is designed to influence people. That's it. So based on this, if I would say based on this definition, would you agree that I'm prophesying to you today? Absolutely. What am I doing? I'm declaring the divine, the divine will of God towards all of us. I interpret the purpose of God from the Bible to all of you just to make you know. What's the will of God in your life? Now, other question. Can you have this gift? Can you have this gift of prophecy? Is it possible that you can go and ask if you can have this gift? Would you like to have this gift? It's actually Paul's wish. He says, I wish that you all guys in Corinth were prophesying. I wish that you would speak in tongues, but more than that, I'd like you to prophesy. Moses said the same thing. I wish that everybody in my camp, my camp was a prophet. Is it possible that any one of us can become a prophet or have this gift? First Corinthians chapter 14. One more time. First Corinthians 14, verse 1 again. Of all that you do, of all that you know, you might be confused. What is my spiritual gift? What am I supposed to do? Of all the things, number one, Paul again gives you advice. Pursue love. No matter what you do, at all costs, love one another. Pursue love. Once you're doing this thing, Paul saying, desire. Desire spiritual, especially that you may prophesy. So if Paul's saying that you can desire, if you can desire something, it's possible that you can get it. If you desire, it might come that you might be good at it. This gift, you can't just look at it from the Let's say, because I'm standing here at the lectern, and I'm speaking for it that, you know, hey, I have this gift. And, you know, like, Jen can have it, but I don't do it. I don't do this thing. But what if you, what if you, what if you're at school? Are you talking to your friends? And you open your Bible, and you explain to your friends what is the will of God in their lives. When you interpret some of the commandments, that are stated in the Bible. When you try to encourage them, what are they doing? When you preach the good news to your family, when you try to share it with your family, and you try to expand the scriptures to your family, what are you doing? You're prophesying. 
We all do it. And we are all doing it. By small scale or a bigger one, we are all doing it. Some way or the other. Can God really bless you if you really desire? And I know some of our people here are very blessed. Interpreting, communicating, explaining it. Don't confuse it with the teaching. Teaching is a gift, too. But teaching, I can be the greatest teacher. But if I don't have this knowledge, the biblical knowledge that God gives me, what can I teach you? I can teach you the things of this world. You know, there are good teachers at your school, good teachers at the workplace. But to teach what? To teach the word of God. To teach the inspired word of God. And there is, I don't know if you notice when you read the Bible, that kind of transitions from the, you know, from kind of from the prophets to the teachers. When you read it, I don't know if you know. So let me show me. Let, let me show you in First Peter, Second Peter chapter one. Because we have to keep in mind that right after Christ's ascension, all the disciples, everybody thought that you know, kingdom of God's gonna come soon. Over all these years and decades, Jesus Christ wasn't coming back. And they were confused. You know, the people are some saying, what were the teaching? We're going to forget about it, what he taught us. And it comes again, and it comes again, the words that John mentioned in his gospel, that he will bring into the remembrance all the things that I taught you. And over the years, they compiled the gospels and the letters and everything and put together in the canon that we see today, even we call it as a New Testament. So now when Peter is writing this letter, when Peter is writing this letter, right here in chapter 2, 2 Peter, chapter 2, and in verse 1, look here. But there were also false prophets, they were, not they are false prophets, they were false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. You see the transition? There were false prophets, but there will be false teachers. And the reason what I believe is why, because at the beginning, when God sent his prophets to the Old Testament, a bit of truth was revealed one time after another. One prophet came and released something. Another prophet came and released something. Another prophet came and released something. The same thing happened in the New Testament. Most people could not read. Not people could not write. So there was a great need of, of prophets who could directly receive the word from God and communicate it to the people. But now, as the New Testament scripture was completed, we have access to it. So there is the truth that was inspired a bit out of a bit. Now we've preached the truth that is already completed in the book. There's no addition to it. There is no addition to it. So, you know, if I come to you one day and said, you know what? Hey, I'm a holy prophet, and God revealed something to me, a new truth. Then you can say, thank you so much. I'm not interested. Pass it on to others. I don't want to hear. We have all the truth that we need. Right here, in this book. So why this gift is so important? Especially the gift of prophecy. Why is it so important? You have to go to the first Corinthians one more time and see it here in the full context of Paul's writing here to the Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 14, one more time. And he, this case, he only compares the prophecy with the speaking in tongues. But we can learn something here. Verse 2. For he who speaks, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 2. For he, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Verse 3. But he who prophesies, he who prophesies, wow, speak what? Edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. You see the difference? The Corinthians, Corinthians, they wanted to have the gifts that were, you know, they want to be so holy. 
The only one that have the gifts that were most manifested, you know, like speaking in tongues, you know, according to the, based on these pagan religion. They wanted to speak something, you know, gibberish, whatever, you know, just bubble. And Paul says, this is useless when you come together in a church. This is useless. Why this is useless? It's better when you guys all prophesy. When you speak the word of God together, why is this so much better? Keep reading. Verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And I wish all you spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive the edification. That's the whole point of it. That the church may receive edification. And we'll come to this a little bit later. Just the full meaning and, ex- and explaining why this gift is so important. But now there is other aspects. It's something that Pastor Murray brought to my attention. And I was looking at these verses and I couldn't figure it out. Why they are so crucial. Why they are so important in all of this. John chapter 16. John chapter 16. How are we doing so far? We all... I tried to simplify my message around three times. So, you know, I don't know. I'm not trying to confuse you here. So, hopefully we're all on the same page. Right? Makes sense so far? What I'm saying? Okay. John chapter 16. We, we read verse 7. But let's read it again. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. John chapter 16 and verse 7. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Look the next three verses. Verse 8. And when this Holy Spirit has come, look what he will do. He will convict the word of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. Verse 9. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Verse 10. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. And 11. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. What does it mean? I was just looking at this verse, and thinking like, you know, the simplicity of John's writing. John's writing is not just simplicity. This is huge. This is huge. But to take it apart, we have to look at this first word here. Right right here in verse 8. He will convict. What does it mean? The Holy Spirit, when he comes into this word, he will convict. Let me tell you what I first, what I thought about this when I was reading these verses. And let's see if we have the later, we have a discussion that you will agree with me. When I read these verses a long time ago, I thought that, you know, God's going to send his Holy Spirit through this word that, you know, he's going to make my heart feel guilty and other people's feel guilty. And, you know, I'll be so feeling guilty that, you know, I'm a sinner that eventually, because of this guilt, I'll repent and I'll come to Christ. That's what I thought when I was reading these few verses. It's way more than that. This is not about just, you know, trying to make somebody feel guilty or trying to make you a little bit uncomfortable that maybe you'll reconsider that maybe you'll see something say hey you know what maybe I will follow Christ convict look at this Greek word convict what does it mean in English language if I say I was convicted what would you think of me I rob a bank, okay, and I went to the court. The jury passed the verdict, guilty as charged. I receive a sentence. What does it say about me? I'm convict, right? I was tried in the legal case, proven guilty, proven guilty. That's it. Look at this word. I don't know how to pronounce it, but you can electro, you can look on your electronic devices. This word convict. E L E G C H O. Basically what it means is to in- indict 
by evidence. Court setting, remember last week's discussion that Sister Olivia brought it? Everything is about the court setting. The entire John's Gospel. There is the evidence. Here is the proof. Now, what you do with it? Basically, at the end. What do you do with it at the end of it? All the proof is up here. I'm giving it to you. Now you have to deal with it. It's your decision. It's your hand. I will give you some examples in the Bible about this word, the Greek word, what it means, right? To, to, what it means, convict. I will give you some examples of this word used in some other passages. Luke, Luke chapter 3. Hold your place here in John. Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist here. Luke chapter 3, and look at verse 19. John chapter 3 and verse 19. But Herod, and he says, being rebuked by him concerning, being rebuked. When you look at this Greek word, that's exactly the same Greek word that we study, convict. Exactly the same word. So this Greek word is not only convict, can, can, also be, can also mean to prosecute or can also mean to prove guilty. There's a different meaning, but it's way more stronger than, you know, just to convince somebody or make somebody feel guilty about something. It's not just about feelings. It's a very strong word. Look at James chapter, James chapter 2. Just to give you another witness about there are more passages like that in the New Testament. James chapter 2. James chapter 2 and verse 9. Just breaking here into the context here. James chapter 2 and verse 9. But if you show partiality, if you show partiality, you commit sin. And are what? The same Greek word. And are convicted by the law as a transgressor. So I'm again trying to emphasize. It's not just about making somebody feel guilty. This is about convicting somebody. This is about persecuting somebody. John the Baptist persecuted the earthly king. And he pronounced a verdict based on the word of God. That's what he did. And he died for it. So now we have to figure it out. How did the Holy Spirit do this work of convictions that we just read in John chapter 16? How does he do that? Is he just come by surprise and, you know, the Holy Spirit invades your home and go to some individuals and to you and to some others one and just make to feel them guilty? That's how it works? It's way more than that, brethren. It's way more than that. How does the Holy Spirit work through all of this? Through the preaching of the gospel. Through the preaching of the word of God. How did you come to church? Because you were sitting at home watching TV and suddenly the Holy Spirit makes you feel guilty and you decided like, wow, I'll open my Bible and I'll just go to church. That's how it happened? No. How, how it happened? You hear the message. Somebody was preaching. Somebody was preaching who was inspired through the Holy Spirit that you registered in your mind and when God called you, you responded. That's how it happened. You were convicted. Of something that you hear in this message. You, you, you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Let's look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Because that's what Paul exactly is trying to explain to the Corinthians church. Here in 14, let's look this time at verse 23. Verse 23, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will it not say that you are out of your mind? Imagine if somebody, if the gentleman comes here and brings a coffee and we start bubbling and screaming and yelling on different things, you know, in a language that no one can understand. If he's, if he's going to come and bring a coffee, 
he would just look at us like, what's, what's happening? What's wrong with this group of people? Just try to put the coffee in the right way. I don't want to be with this crazy people here, right? What if he brings coffee here and read in verse 24? If he walks in here, but if all prophesy, an unbeliever or uninformed person come in, look what happens. He is convinced by all, and he is convicted by all what he's convicted about. And thus the secrets of his hearts are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. What he would hear when you preach from the word of God, usually the word of God would what? Would come in conflict with you because he will convict you of your sins. Without preaching, you can't know what sin is. Through the preaching of the word of God, you can find out what sin is. And that's what happened, how people come to church. Through the preaching of the word of God. But once they come to the church, they need edification, just like all of us. You see how this beautiful, everything is just woven together and it works so great for all of us. Titus 1. I have a better understanding of this word. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, and look at verse 9. And, you know, the whole passage here is about the overseers or the elders. I'll just break into the context here. Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word that he has been taught, that he may be able, the overseer, might be able by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to what? And to convict. That is the same Greek word. And to convict those who contradict. It doesn't say he will, he'll be able to just convince them. No, he will be able to convict them. To pronounce a verdict. You know, your argument against God's holy Bible comes to nothing. There's the conviction. I convict somebody by speaking the word of God. By pronouncing the truth that comes from the word of God. We are like a, we are like a prosecutor. Like John the Baptist was. Chapter 2, the same book, Titus chapter 2. Look at verse 15. Titus chapter 2, verse 15. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke. And the same word rebuke here is the same Greek word. To convict with what? With all authority. What kind of authority? What authority Paul had? What authority I have? What authority do I have? I have none. No single one of us. We don't have any authority. Our authority comes from the word of God. If we pronounce the word of God as our authority, it's not us. It's the word of God that is authority through the Holy Spirit. That's how we convict if people don't surrender to it. We pronounce the guilty verdict. You don't want to follow God. There is the verdict on you. That's how Holy Spirit works to all of this. The good thing about this gift that you you love to be in the Word of God. You love to read the Word of God. You love to study the Word of God. You love to explain the Word of God to other people. That's a good thing about this gift. What's the negative about this gift? Look at the history. The prophets, the law prosecutor, right? They pronounce a guilty verdict. Any single one of them, you can look at it. From Moses to Elijah to Elisha to Isaiah to Jeremiah, every single one to John the Baptist. They convict, they pronounce judgment based on the word of God. But what happened to them? Most of them died. By violent death. John the Baptist. Pronounce it. Convict. The earthly king. He had the authority from the word of God. What happened to him? He was beheaded. Jesus Christ. 
convict the whole world. What happened to him? He was crucified. Ten out of eleven disciples convict the world of their sin. What happened to them? Most of them died for it. That's the danger of it. If you desire, if you want to have this gift, there are consequences. You must be willing to die for it. You must be willing to die for it. Let's go back to John chapter 16. So now we have a better understanding to convict what it means, okay? To convict. John chapter 16. As I told you, it's not just a simple writing by John. The Gospel of John is loaded. And when he will come, verse 8. He will convict the word of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Let's take this thing apart. Let's talk about this sin, righteousness, and judgment. Because that's what John does here in verse 9. Look what he does. Verse 9 of sin. He will convict the word of sin in a what way? You see, we say, if you come to Christ, you have to keep the Ten Commandments. Okay? You have to uphold the God's law. Yes, this is true. But this is not the entire truth. This is not what John's writing. He says, he will convict the word. Why? Because they did not believe in me. You see the difference? Who is he? Pastor Murray last week asked a question. It was one part of the question. What does it mean? What, when John wrote, what does it mean to receive him? What does it mean? That we keep Ten Commandments? Let me tell you, there are people in this world who try to keep Ten Commandments and don't believe that Jesus Christ is Messiah or they don't believe that Jesus Christ is Son of God. Keeping Ten Commandments is not going to get you anywhere. You have fully, in your whole heart, believe who He is. That's why John wrote the Gospel. That you all believe that He is the Son of God, that He is the Messiah and He is the Son of God. You see, sin equates not believing in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's how crucial, that's how important it is. You know, we try to go, and especially in a Western society, you try to go to people and try to preach, let's say, you know, you guys, you know, you are sinners, you break the God's law and stuff like that. Most people are not going to listen to you. Why? Because we feel so good about ourselves. Hey, I go to work every day. I work hard. I pay my bills. I don't kill anybody. I try to live according. You know, I love my neighbor. I try to help him. You know, I donate to charities. I do my money. I, whatever everybody else do, I'm doing it. I'm not a bad person. And you try to tell me that, you know, I'm a sinner? It's not going to get you anywhere. Those people don't care. But if you believe in me, or if you don't believe in me, there are huge consequences. So you see how it starts to unfold here? He will convict the word of what? Of sin. Why? Because they don't believe in him. And still today people don't believe in Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, he was a good prophet. Oh yeah, he, some of his teachings were wonderful. I especially like his parables. I don't like this one, but I love this one. You take it all or nothing. You can't just speak and choose what you want from Christ's teaching and say, you know, like, hey, you know what? Life is good. No. When you pick and choose, you got to take everything. Everything. And surrender everything. That's what it means. Let's move on here. Look at the next verse. So the, when Holy Spirit is going to come in verse 10, He will convince, convict the word of righteousness. He will convict the word of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. What is, what is that supposed to mean? I go to my father and you see me no more. So let me ask you this question. How many of you can say today, at the end of the day, let's say at the end of the Sabbath day, they say, hey, I can go home and I have the absolute right 
to go and sit beside my father on his throne. How many of you can say it today? I deserve it to have the place at the right side of my father. How many of you can say that? None of you. How many people could say that before Christ came? Was Moses able to go and sit at the right side of father's place? No. Was Elijah? No. Was Jeremiah? No. Was John the Baptist? No. Who was able to ever go and sit at the right side of the father? Who was ever? No one. So, how are you going to get there that you will be able to sit right beside God the Father? What's going to take you there? Is it your righteous conduct? No, what about your righteousness? How is your righteousness, by the way? How is your righteousness? Is it great? No. So what can take you there? Righteousness of Jesus Christ. Brethren, it's not so simple as just read through these verses. We've got to think deeply what it means to us. He will convict the word of righteousness. Because why? No single one of them can ascend to heaven and say, beside Father, and says, I deserve it. Because I work hard. I did all these good things through my life. And I can be there. I can sit there. I am number one there. No one, no, not single one of them can actually say that. And look here. Hold your place here. Something that we already covered, but let's do it again just to remind you. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Hold your place there in John 16. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 18. You already cover it, but just look at one more time with your own eyes. If you want to have your own, if you want to go, be with the Father with your righteousness. Verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. No one has seen God at any time. No Moses, no Elijah, no Elisha, no Enoch, nobody. The only begotten Son who is in the, in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Period. Only righteousness of Jesus Christ can get you there. No one else. Let's move on. Verse 11. John chapter 16 and verse 11. End of judgment. Because the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of this world is judged. Think about it. Who is the most powerful being except our God and Jesus Christ? Who is the most powerful being in this world? Satan. What is John trying to tell us here? If God is saying that the most powerful being on this planet, in this universe, is being judged right now, is being judged right now, who are you? Who are you to escape God's judgment? Are you able to escape God's judgment? If Satan is going to be judged, then what about you? If he's going to answer for everything that he's done evil in this world, what about you? Or you still think that you're such a good person? That you don't do any harm? I live my righteous life? You know, I dedicate my life to so many different things? And you still think that you're going to avoid judgment? I don't think so. How can you avoid judgment? Same thing. Through who? Jesus Christ. Does it make sense, brethren? How powerful words of John here. And now what I want you to see, this is the perfect, this is the perfect formula how the gospel was preached to the world. You know what I mean? This was the formula. Formula. Mathematical formula. We preach of sin. We preach of righteousness. We finish with judgment. I'll prove it to you. Go to the book of Acts. The first sermon that was preached. Using the same formula what John actually wrote here in the gospel. Book of Acts. Chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost. Book of Acts chapter 2. 
And look at verse 22. You all understand the scriptures. We cover it so often, but just quickly here. We'll go to Mark chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, by wonders, and signs. That's what John is writing his gospel, remember? He's saying, you know, he is the son of God. He's everything that you need to know, and here's the proof of it. The sign one, sign two, sign three, sign four, sign five, everything. Proofs, I'm trying to write you. Peter's saying the same thing. He's using the same language. By miracles, by wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know. Verse 23. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Look what happened. You have taken by lawless hand and have crucified and put to death. What did they do? They refused to believe in Jesus Christ. He will convict the work of sin by not believing him, right? That's what Peter is saying. You did not believe in him. He's preaching about sin. They rejected him. He's not speaking about the commandments, about the rejecting of Jesus Christ. Look a little further here. Look at verse 24. Which God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And there is a beautiful quote from Psalm 16 here, but you don't have time to cover all of this. Just keep to verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. We speak about the righteousness, right? Convict the word of sin, because they did not believe him. Convict word of righteousness. No matter what you think of our forefather David, he's still dead, and his body is still here till today, and he's not at the right side of our God. He's not there yet. Who is it there? Jesus Christ. The only son whom you did not believe. And look at verse 33. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. And look here. He poured out, he poured out this which you now see and hear. The work of the Holy Spirit that you can, that you can now, that you actually see and you, and you hear it. The work of the Holy Spirit. Convict the word of sin. Convict the word of righteousness. Now let's move to the judgment. Look at verse 34. For David did not ascend into the heaven, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. There comes the judgment. You do not believe in me. You do not believe in my righteousness. And here comes the judgment. All the enemies, every single knee, will bow before Jesus Christ and confess that he is the Lord. And God promised that he will do that. And he will absolutely do it. See how beautiful this formula works? Exactly what John preached, that's how it used by Peter. Where did all these people get such a great knowledge and insight? Where did they get it from? Through the work of the Holy Spirit, who said they will bring everything into the remembrance. He will teach you everything that you need to know. And everything is so conveniently and beautifully here recorded in this book that we call the Bible. We can look at it, we can learn, and we can replicate it. We can use the same formula. And we're actually using it, the same formula, to preach the gospel. You can't preach the good news if you don't preach the bad news. And, you know, if you turn on TV today, you can go and turn the TVs on Sundays. You'll see what you hear. How many preachers will actually try to convince the audience of the sin? Not many. Oh, it's just about feeling good. God's going to bless you today, brethren, I can guarantee you. You go tomorrow on Monday. No, Monday is a holiday. So the post, post is not working. But on Tuesday, you will go home. You're going to open your mailbox. And this check that you've been waiting so long, it will be right there. You just open the mailbox. God's going to provide for you. God will serve a blessing from every single one of you. You just need to believe. You just need to give your heart to this. Every single Sunday, preacher after preacher. Why they are afraid to preach about sin? Because people will leave. They don't want to hear it. Because we're good. We're righteous. You don't need to hear this stuff. Don't tell me. I'm a good man. And look at the results of this preaching. Look at verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, assuredly, 
that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, what? Both Lord and Christ. What John wrote? That you might believe in what? That Jesus Christ is what? Messiah and Son of God. That's it. Same message. It's not just that God sent, you know, like, hey, there is a somebody, there is a prophet of God, there is a Muhammad, and everything is dictated to him word by word, and he wrote a book. There is a beauty of the Holy Bible, inspired through the work of the Holy Spirit, among so many different individuals, producing the same message, in and out, throughout the whole book. This is just great. This is just awesome. And 37. Look what happened when Peter was preaching with the power of the Holy Spirit here. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They were cut to heart. Now repentance comes. Now the repentance comes. And everything after. Why this gift of prophecy is so important? I'm trying to show you the connections. How this gift of prophecy is connected with every single one of them. The gift of prophecy is connected to preaching the gospel. And, you know, to distribute the gifts. It's everywhere. You can't escape it. You can't escape it. Why the gift of prophecy is so important? Point number one. Through the gift of prophecy come greater edifications for the body. If we speak to each other through hymns and psalms, and verses, and in quote, quote, scripture, try to build up one another, motivate one another. Beautiful things happen. Don't just talk about, you know, the weather and, you know, whatever, and, you know, my day was like this, and yeah, there's this place for this too. But when we speak about, when you, when you talk scripture, it gives us motivation, edification. So, through the gift of prophecy come greater edifications for the body. Why? Because it comes directly from the word of God. Which is truly inspired by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why. And point two. Through the gift of prophecy comes greater ability to preach the gospel and convict the world. Through the gift of prophecy comes greater ability to preach the gospel and convict the world. And why? It's the same thing. The preaching comes directly from the word of God. Which is surely inspired by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why. There is the connection. That's how the Holy Spirit works through. So let's summarize what we have covered so far today. I know I jump all over the place, but you know, hopefully in the end we'll see the big pictures out of it, right? Be greater understanding of the spiritual gift and the Holy Spirit and how it works and everything. Let's summarize it. What have we covered today? What have we learned today? What is the primary work of the Holy Spirit? It leads us to truth, right? And what is true? Your word is true. Everything that is covered in the Bible, that's the truth. So the Holy Spirit it will lead us to the truth. The other point. God gave us the Holy Spirit for what? What is the purpose that God gave us the Holy Spirit? Just so we feel so good and we can sleep good at night or, you know, we can just feel good about ourselves. Why God give us a Holy Spirit for the work of the ministry, which is preaching the gospel and for edifying the body. There are two main reasons why you receive the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Next point. Of all the spiritual gifts, the gift of prophecy is highly recommended, not just by Paul, but also by Moses. And we know why. How crucial this gift is. Uh, I would say that this gift is just it's most, most impactful in preaching the gospel and also it's most impactful in edifying the body of Christ. If you miss something, I can always, you know, come. you can come later at the end or during the sermon discussions. Next point. What it means to prophesy. Remember? What it means to prophesy. Declare the divine will. B. To interpret the purpose of God. And three. To make known the truth of God. 
It's not just based on the predictions of the future. This is part of it. Many prophets, because they were convicting what was happening, like the prophets of Israel, all this evil that was going on, and they said, because of your evil, this is what God's going to do to you. So you will know that I'm telling you the truth. Now, remember I asked you a question at the beginning? If you had a choice, which gift would you like to have? How many of you picked the gift of prophecy? It's okay. Lift your hand. I just want to just, one, two, three, four, just four of you. That's good. Well, we can talk about other gifts. I'm excited to see what other gifts you would pick. We can do it later. So now, let's conclude here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's conclude here. One more time. And chapter here about love. And in this chapter is concluded here in verse 13. Paul is writing to the Corinthians. It says, verse 13, chapter 13, verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, love. This three. But the greatest of this is love. Forget about the chapter break. Just keep reading. Forget that it's, you know, we're breaking the thought now. We're moving to something else. Just forget about it. The greatest of this is love. Because love is the greatest of it. I want you to push your love. At any cost. And it will cost you. It will cost you. If you push your love. For your brethren. It will cost you a lot. Not just your time. It will cost you money. It will cost you in terms of emotions. You will go up and down. You'll have to sacrifice a lot. But if you don't know where you're going, if you don't know what you give us, at least do this. Push your love at every cost. Push your love at every cost. And as you, as you will do that, as you will do that wholeheartedly, desire, desire spiritual. As you work on your love, desire, pray for it. Ask God for it. As much as you can. Desire it. With your whole heart. Desire it. But especially. That you may prophesy. Verse 3. Why? One more time. He who prophesies. Speak edification. And exhortation. And comfort. To men. May God be with you. And bless you. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.